And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Derek Reiper, Bridgeroli, Nito Saris here with you on this Thursday. On this episode, we'll take a look at the Bubble teams, teams that are currently sitting between about 10 and 60% playoff odds, according to fan graphs. We'll dig into who the most important players are for those teams as we try and see those teams make their run in the second half of the season. Got a pitching coach leaving Major League Baseball mid-season to go to a college program. We'll try to figure out why. And MLB's antitrust exemption getting some attention. We'll talk about whether or not it's actually going to lead to anything as we roll through this episode. But let's get going here on this Thursday. I have identified six teams that are big bubble teams. It's a wide range to say 10 to 60% odds to make the playoffs, but that's the way the playoff picture is right now. It's a little stratified with a few uh, division leaders that are kind of in good position and then a bunch of teams jockeying for final wildcard spots, and plenty can change between now and September. But let's start with the Cardinals because I think they are among the better teams in this big bubble, I think Tyler O'Neill is kind of an important player for them as we look ahead to the second half, just because they haven't received a whole lot from him on the offensive side. But my bigger issue with the Cardinals is I try and figure out how good they're going to be once we get closer to the playoffs. It comes back to the starting pitching. You know, they've really struggled uh, to find a way to replace Jack Flaherty. He's back on the IL right now. Steven Matz has missed some time, and actually he's been their best starter by K-BB percentage so far this season, which is wild since he's got an ERA over six. So if I had to make this a trophy, if I had to pick one player who I think is really important to the Cardinals in the second half, I think it's actually Steven Matz who has to turn things around and, and deliver on the deal that he just signed this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think for the Cardinals, and we talked about this a little bit this winter, the issue was always going to be health. And I know you can say that for every team, but they're just an older team in general. And I think not having the the vintage Flaherty has really hurt them. We talked about how, you know, talked about last show, how you know, he didn't really look the same in his return. I think when you look at the the pitching by them, it is thin. The roster in general is an older roster. We, we saw early on in the season what can happen when Nolan Arenado is playing just out of his mind. But can you expect that to really be a thing as we get into the second half? I think it's, it's pitching. I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be in the market for starting pitching around this trade deadline, and it's not really a great trade trade deadline to upgrade starting pitching wise. Yeah, you know, I, I think Tyler O'Neill was showing uh, some signs of life, <laughs> you know, when he came back uh, in between IL stints. Uh, he he had a a good June, at least, uh, with a 3.54 average and. Uh, uh, you know the, the underlying stuff to to say to suggest that he was on his way back, but like you know, in terms of scoring runs, they've been fine. You know, we talked on uh, was it on rates and barrels about um, how that park is playing differently and and how uh, you know players like uh, Arnado and um, Paul Goldschmidt are, are playing fine just at home and and are making that into a bandbox <laughs> or at least compared to the past. So I do think it's pitching, and uh, unfortunately, I mean, I, I I get your assessment of Steven Matz, and I do think that he's an important part of that roster, but I still maintain the fact that this roster needs an ace or at least a number two to go with Wainwright. Uh, maybe Miles Michaelis can be that. Maybe this can be a team that just has five okay starters. Uh, they definitely have a decent bullpen. But you're right about that market, Britt. I mean, there's Frankie Montas, uh, and then maybe beg the Marlins for you know a starting pitcher. 
uh, am I missing somebody that you know that could be out there? I don't know. You could you could take a shot at maybe one of the Royals starters if you thought that you could coach them into uh, more success with uh, maybe a pitch mix change. Uh, otherwise, I, I think you're out of luck. I think the other thing that complicates this is there are probably some expectations that Matthew Liebertork would come up and, and be a viable starter for them. It's been more bad than good in the little bit of time that we've seen him. So you have to decide, is he part of the solution too, or is he actually part of what you can send away that's going to bring back a more established pitcher? And I think if you're going to think about trading someone like Liebertor, you're probably trying to find someone who's not just a rental for this season. So uh, I look at this team and I, I think the the Dakota Hudson problem, as Eno has described it, I think it's true for a lot of this starting rotation. They don't miss a lot of bats as a group. The bullpen's not quite as deep as it's been in past seasons. I think they can figure that out. I think relative to some of the other teams that have bullpen woes, the Cardinals' bullpen woes aren't necessarily as bad. We'll get to I mean, at least one of those I they have some really teams. good pitchers back there. I think Gallegos and Helsley are, are really good pitchers. So at least the, they they go two, three deep back in the back end. Right. I think they've at least got the, we're winning, we can protect the lead. These guys are really good. I think they've got a couple guys like that. There are some playoff contenders that don't even have a pair of pitchers that you'd look at in the same light that you'd look at uh, for Helsley and Gallegos. So yeah, if the Cardinals... If they're wobbling through the second half, it's not because of Steven Matz. It's not because of Tyler O'Neill. But those are just two guys I think they could get a lot more from in the second half of this season. I think the Giants are worth talking about here, too, because we've talked about them as a team that we we wonder, is, is it smoke and mirrors? Is it is it going to be the, the step back that some people were expecting for all of last season? Is that going to happen to them in the second half? And I think part of the strategy that's made them so interesting to me going back to their offseason was their willingness to bet on pitchers that have pretty rich injury histories. I mean, Alex Cobb and Alex Wood are the two guys that immediately come to mind when I look at their roster right now. And I think part of this working for the Giants is keeping most of their pitchers healthy, but also it's having guys pitch up to their projections because the one area where the Giants are extremely weak is their defense. So if they have pitchers underperforming their skills, you're taking a bad defense and you're kind of making that problem even worse when pitchers are underperforming. I know, you know, you've talked about Cobb in particular as someone that you see as a, a clear cut bounce back candidate. I wonder if you share some of that optimism with Alex Wood as well. I do. I mean, if you just look at traditional luck metrics like batting average on balls in play, that's traditionally 30% or 300 across the league. Alex Cobb's at, you know, 380 and Alex Wood's at 340. So, you know, there's something going on there. Yes, it is good to to point out the defense there behind them. That might be part of it. But, you know, Logan Webb, Carlos Rodon, and Jacob Junis all pitch in front of the same defense and have Babips under 300. Um, you know, they do a lot of heavy shifting. They put their guys in interesting spots defensively. So I don't, I think it's more a, a question of luck. Uh, you know, I've talked to both Cobb and Wood about this uh, phenomenon. They both feel like process-wise they're doing uh, really well. Cobb has one of the, the, the best strikeout rate of his career, the best velo of his career. Um, the curveball looks the, some of the best that it's ever looked in his career. So, you know, and, and Wood has some of the best velo he's had in his career. So the two of those, I think, um, will, will do better. And it's a little bit like the Tyler O'Neill thing where... Yes, I do think that they are key to being better, but in the spirit of this exercise, I kind of feel like they just will be. And <laughs> the it's the giant it's the giants somebody on the giants hitting side that needs to be better. And and I and and it's like not something I can point to and be like, <laughs> "Oh, this person is projected to be better and he will be better and boom bang bang, done." I need for me, I need someone on the Giants offense to just step forward. You know what I mean? I just I feel like they're all okay. They're all pretty good. But I think it's lacking star power. And maybe that's just a question of how the team is constructed. And maybe Farhan will never construct a team with a highly paid uh, star in the middle of the lineup. But I do kind of feel like this team is missing that. 
I just want to kick this point out there before we go to Britt real quick. I mean, Jock Peterson has been the player who's taken the step forward so far. He's got a 157 WRC plus, 17 homers in 64 games. K rate's nice and low at 21.9%, at least low relative to some of his his past seasons. It, it's like they already have that. So if Jock just stays at this level and everybody else keeps doing the let's overachieve relative to our expectations and they're they're a lineup of six or seven above average hitters without a star. Can that actually work, Britt? Uh, maybe. I agree. You know, and that they need and they never got. And we've talked about this on the show before. There was an opportunity for them this winter to kind of make that big splash. And instead, they continued to kind of have fun on the waiver wire. And um, they do act sometimes like this small market team when they're not. I think for me, I'm going to push back a little more on the defense not being a problem. I mean, I watched some of that red series. There were mental errors. There were physical errors. Their their fundamentals have been bad. Gabe Kapler mentioned that they needed to concentrate more. Um, you know, that that is not good at all. And last year, you didn't see that from this team. And I know they outperformed everybody's expectations last year. But in order to get back into this thing in the West, not only do you need offensively to kind of up your game a little bit, but you can't be giving away outs. You have to be a cleaner yeah. team. And, you know, you look at them defensively and it hasn't inspired much confidence. They are an older team. Um, you know, they've never been like an elite defensive team, but they have to do better in, in my opinion, especially going against some of these sub 500 teams. This is where you make up the ground. So to me, like collectively as a unit, they have to get better. Anytime your manager is saying we need to concentrate more, um, you know, the blame is kind of spread around there. Like this is clearly um, not a well-oiled machine right now. I just wonder how much their trade deadline this year might resemble their trade deadline a year ago, where if it's the lack of offensive star power, they feel like they can upgrade. Are they going to find another Chris Bryant type? I mean, trading for veteran bats, even high level veteran bats, doesn't seem to be completely cost prohibitive. A lot of times you don't have to give up your best prospects to get players like that anymore. It just seems like the market has become so much more favorable for teams that are in a buying position. Maybe with the expanded playoffs, it'll be a little bit different this year because there's more teams maybe that fancy themselves as possible playoff clubs. Uh, but I think one thing that struck me looking at their defensive flaws in San Francisco is I think that's a tough thing to fix in season. I don't yeah. know if you can make one or two moves that make you go from being a well below average defensive team to at least an average one. Sure, if you get the right guys at the right place, maybe it's possible, but it's just rare to me that those sort of impact players usually up the middle that they're available and you can get more than one of them if they're even there in the first place. Yeah, and I I mean, I, I, I'm sympathetic to the idea that maybe they had some mental errors and... Uh, that's part of the picture, but I would say that there's a flaw in the construction of this team, more likely. I mean, uh, you can look at outs above average. It's a, a stat cast stat that just it's one of the better defensive metrics. And uh, they they this year going into the season, they only had three players that ended up being above average uh, defensively by that metric. And they've traded one of those away. Dubon is gone. So Slater, Austin Slater might be a decent defensive center fielder i might he has the best number on the team mike Ostremski is a plus one so he's just barely above average i think he's actually a little bit miscast as a center fielder so last night you had mike Ostremski in right and slater in center that was their best defensive arrangement and that means that the rest of the team is below average <laughs> defensively tyro estrada has a minus four Brandon Crawford is the oldest shortstop in the game. He has a minus four. Uh, Brandon Belt used to be good at picking it, but he's older. Darren Ruff was always a DH. Luis Gonzalez is a prototypical corner outfielder. Jock Peterson uh, looks the part of a, of a DH. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, I don't see this team, uh, yeah, just turning it around. Getting a shortstop might be interesting because then you push Tyra Estrada to second. You push Flores off of second and you kind of change the, the, the concept of this team. Are you, is there a shortstop out there that they're going to trade for that has better, like right, even, even in Brandon Crawford's downish season so far, he's only 10% worse than league average. So you're going to go get a, a shortstop that's available that does league average offense and is going to be a better defender than Brandon Crawford. That's not, it's not an easy thing to do. 
No, definitely not. And as much as it seems like we're throwing shade at the Giants, it's the team that has a 61.7% chance of picking the playoffs, according to the Fangraphs projections, as we sit here and record uh, midday Wednesday. Uh, so how they get there, I think it's a little bit of a mystery. It might be a lot of fun to see what they actually pull off, but it doesn't look easy at this point based on the flaws they have and how difficult it can be to address those flaws. Maybe the worst position to be in right now of the teams we're going to talk about today. This is this is actually a pretty good debate, but the Phillies losing Bryce Harper. I think there's a, a floating question out there for a lot of people. Does this pretty much sink the Phillies bid to be a playoff team this year? Uh, I'll, I'll answer that floating question with it. I don't think it does because for all the things that the Phillies struggle with, the one thing that I think is good about them is that they can score a lot of runs, and that's even without their best player. I think they've got a deep enough offense where they're not going to go completely quiet. They're not going to struggle to score runs. They've got very good starting pitching, at least at the top of the rotation, and ample starters in the back of the rotation. The same problems that have plagued the Phillies for years, it seems like now, are still there. I think there's a ton of pressure now in this time without Harper on guys like Sir Anthony Dominguez and Andrew Bellotti to lock down every single possible win they can. Like, to be part of the Phillies' A bullpen, which runs a whole two pitchers deep Brit, I think there's more pressure than ever because it's going to be it's going to be difficult to just outscore teams all the time without Harper. So you think the Phillies are still a playoff? You think the Phillies are a playoff team is what you're saying? I don't think they're tanked without Harper. I think some people just think, oh, Harper's gone. They're done. They're toast. I think, I think they're toast. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I think they're toast. So you're not picking you're not picking a side here. You're gonna you're gonna waffle it with Eno? No, I'm not I'm not waffling it. I, I just think if if we're talking six weeks, which I think is what they are pointing to as maybe an optimistic timetable for Harper's return, they can stay afloat for six weeks because other parts of this roster are good enough. But just like the Giants, it's a bad defensive team. So they can't afford to give runs away and they can't afford to blow leads because they're not going to have as much of a luxury when it comes to putting runs on the board without Harper. So it, it it puts pressure on everyone, of course, to not have your best player there. But I think Dominguez and Bilotti in particular, it's just like the temperature got turned up on those two guys as their two best relievers. They need to figure out out of the Brad Hand, uh, Jury's Familia, you know, that that group of guys that they Corey Knable, who was the closer to begin the season. Just make sure they win the games they can actually yeah. win. They cannot give games away in the late inning right now. Their margin for error is just smaller, and they're weak in the places where they've they've been weak for so long that we kind of know what the script is going to look like. So if they're going to weather the storm, it's because the bullpen actually exceeds expectations and because the defense isn't as bad for these next six weeks as most people expect it to be. So in your view, three teams from the NL East make it? I have to choose my words very carefully here. I don't think the Phillies are necessarily a playoff team, but I don't think they're going to fall. I don't think they're going to crater and fall out of the position they're in right now without Harper. Okay. I thought we were evaluating whether they're a playoff team or not. I think it was more of a question of what is this team going to have to do to stay afloat? And it's basically be perfect on the margins. And they're so rarely perfect on the margins that I'm not expecting them to be as good as they need to be. Okay. So I think they're they're still going to be within arm's reach when Harper comes back. If Harper comes back in, let's say, mid-August, I think they would still have a shot. We might be talking about them as a team that has 15 to 20% playoff odds by that time. But... I think some people out there expect them to fall to like zero. I don't think it's going to be that bad of a crash, even if it's a a step back without him. Yeah. So I think, I think I agree with what you're saying. I'm not positive. Still exactly what stands here. (laughs) I don't think they're a playoff team. I I don't, I I don't think you have a team that can't defend and has a shaky bullpen. That's a playoff team. I don't think they're better than the Mets and I don't think they're better than the Braves. So I mean, we could sit here and, and couch that maybe they're kind of not mathematically eliminated in late August. And that's a nice way to make sure that nobody says, I told you so later. But I, I just <laughs> I just don't like I, if we're going to pick a side, the Phillies aren't a playoff team. That's how I see it. And I'm not going to sit here for 10 minutes and circle around. Oh, they have to do this and that. And they could still kind of be in it. They're not going to be they're not going to be there at the end. I think that, that that is the bottom line. The segment is just. <laughs> 
the who's the difference maker? Yeah, this is this is Eno's segment. The difference this... maker is the guy who just got hit by a pitch. He's the NL MVP. I mean, he's not their only good player he's though. Not their only this good team's player. not total garbage. But it's flawed, but it's not total crap. But Dave Dombrowski, when he got hurt, said, "Well, you know, the Braves won the World Series without Ronald Acuna Jr." Well, I'm pretty sure the Braves' defense was just slightly better than the Phillies' defense. Like there are so many, and, and like the Braves' bullpen better than the Phillies bullpen like you can't agreed you can't if it was one thing a bad just a bad defense or just a bad bullpen I'd be a little more apt to say this team has a chance but both together is a nightmare scenario and now you're losing a guy like Bryce Harper who not only offensively helps you but defensively stabilizes that like atrocious outfield so in in my opinion I don't see how you come back from that I don't think they have like a real guy who's gonna step in and kind of Right, this ship. You mentioned the, the late inning relievers. Certainly, there's pressure on them. I think as well, but I don't know. In my mind, and you know, I'm sure I'm going to get hate from Phillies fans for hating on Philly, but um, there was already such a small margin for error, and that was with Bryce Harper. That you know, I just don't, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't think they have like a, a guy who's going to swoop in and make this a three team race in the NL East. They already, though, already lost the the defensive difference, right? He's only played eight games in right field this season because of the elbow injury. So it's elbow plus thumb. What he's been able to do, what Harper has done so far this season with that elbow injury, I think is probably overlooked by a lot of people. But I think it's it's trying to ride this perfect this perfect scenario. I think you're right. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I don't think they're a disaster in this time without Bryce Harper. Maybe I'm hedging, but that's where I'm at. What do you think, Edo? They have a 27% chance of making the playoffs on fan graphs. Uh, so I just, I, I would say that's not zero. I, I agree with Britt's general idea that I don't think they make it, but right now it's, uh, it looks like the Mets, the Braves, the Brewers, uh, the Dodgers, and the Padres leaving the Phillies. Cardinals and Giants all fighting for the last spot. Now, so we don't have to compare the Phillies to the Mets and Braves necessarily. We have to compare them to the Cardinals and the Giants. And we just spent some time talking about how flawed the Giants' defense was, um, how there's some issues there, how flawed the Cardinals' rotation is. And so the Phillies are a flawed team that fits with those three teams. So I do think it's worth, you know, talking about what could go right for the Phillies for them to beat out the Cardinals and Giants. I think that it might have something to do with somebody like Oscar Mercado, who they just picked up from the in, the Guardians, because Mercado uh, can actually play defense, you know? And so if you've got a good defensive center fielder, maybe you, you start not giving things away. Didi Gregorius is not a great defensive shortstop, but at least you've got your regular shortstop in at shortstop. So maybe you start, you know, doing the defense right there, and then maybe Brad Hand steps up, and him and Sir Anthony D- Dominguez um, are the two guys that uh, that make that 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 bullpen hum. So it's hard to. It, what I think is funny about this is not necessarily the waffling that I'm trying to do about the Phillies. <laughs> do you? It's, no, and I was I was just trying to lay out the 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 actual stats of it. It's, the Phillies have about a third chance, and the, the, it's them, the Cardinals, or the Giants. Um, and uh, I think what's interesting about this this difference maker concept is that we're kind of pointing to the truth about baseball, which is it's almost never one player, you know. And we we learned that lesson last year with Acuna. And we learn the lesson every year, and we learn it now in this segment as we try to po- to to point to one player that could step forward, and we can't do it. We haven't done it for a single team. Has there been one of these teams that we've talked about yet where we pointed to one player? Nah, because it, it where we we had yeah. some sort of consensus. It never is because if a couple things change, it can offset one big loss. I mean, another thing that's weird with the Phillies this year, Nick Castellanos has been. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> below average, below replacement level, below average as an offensive player, already having to play a lot of defense because the Harper injury from pre you know the elbow. You could point you could point to him because he's projected to be 30% above league average. If he hits to his projections, then you have Schwarber, Hoskins, and Castellanos all 30% above league average, uh, and Real Muto uh, and Bohm as as just comfortably above league average. That's a good lineup. Yeah. So they still have a good lineup. And maybe with Mercado, uh, you know, playing in center, 
uh, and and somebody stepping up in the bullpen, they can they can kind of mitigate their flaws. But all three of these teams are flawed. I mean, who who which of these flaws would you rather have? Would you rather have the Giants' bad defense? I guess you would rather have the bad, Giants' bad defense because at least they don't also have a bad bullpen and missing missing a star player. I think the Giants and Cardinals are less flawed because they don't have quite as many warts as the Phillies, and also they don't have you know. The Phillies, you're right. You don't you don't have to compare them to the Mets and Braves, but guess who they're going to be playing a lot down the stretch? Right, <laughs> yeah, the Mets and the true. Braves. <laughs> Would you rather have the Cardinals in the NL Central? Like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's it, picking the flaws that you take. In this case, the context of who they play the most matters more. The Cardinals have the easiest path by far. Like, I think you look at these three teams and who wins the most games, who's most likely to get that one spot. If it's one spot for the three, the Cardinals seem like the most logical choice for factors that are out of the control of the Giants and the Phillies but then maybe the Giants and Phillies are more aggressive at the trade deadline and they can offset the difference that way but here's something that might be surprising to you uh they have a thing called strength of schedule uh, on fan graphs you guys are right the Phillies have the worst one uh it's a rest of season strength of schedule of a 506 I guess that means that that's about the average of the teams that they're they're going to face going forward um the Cardinals is four nine three, so you're right about that. They have the easiest, but the Giants four nine five. Hmm. So I don't know. Maybe they've banked their games against the Dodgers. Yeah, maybe. And they don't actually have that many well, uh, going forward. Here's the other thing I wonder with that too, though. Does that take into account like the Mets are going to get back to Grom and Scherzer? They think right. Right. So, That's why it's so hard so, to do strength of exactly. schedule and so, opponent stuff. You you would have rather obviously had played the Mets when they were missing those guys and filling in, um, especially because Carlos Carrasco didn't look good last night. You know, they've really had some depth issues at starting pitching. Um, so playing the Mets now versus playing the Mets in August, if DeGrom and Scherzer are healthy, totally different ballgame for the Phillies. Dude, uh, the, 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 Met, the, the Giants schedule is fairly cake and it's what's interesting is they do have like they have 12 games against the dodgers so that part is not cake almost everything else is i I don't know it's a weird quirk of the schedule they're playing the cubs a ton uh they're playing the rockies and diamondbacks a ton of course but they the cubs are on their schedule the pirates are on their schedule the a's are on their schedule i mean they have like i think they have like eight games against the cubs left yeah, that's so, nice. Nice to have those still in front of you. That's uh, bizarre, and and it does uh, point to something that some fans get really worked up about the unbalanced schedule. It it is yeah. it's sometimes in September you're just like you're looking at and like the you you know your team is playing a really bad NL team yeah. and the other team in the division is or your team is playing a really good NL team and the other team in the division is playing the Pirates and you're just like why? Yeah, here's the other thing that doesn't help. Um, the Phillies and, and also to some extent the Giants is the Mets a few weeks ago were running away with the NL East where like maybe they would kind of take their foot off the gas at the end this is now going down to the wire Dodgers Padres in the West we all expect it pretty much probably to go down to the wire right so these teams are going to be playing competitively all the way to the end so if the Phillies are even in there and sniffing that wild card contention the Mets are still going to roll out their A lineup. The Braves are still going to roll out their A lineup. Because they need to win those games to, win. to stay ahead of the other teams. Yeah. yeah. You won't get you won't get that random call up. You won't get the bullpen games if if they still need to win. Because uh also with the new playoff format being the best uh is it the best two teams in each um in each league uh matters. Yeah it has a lot more and like honestly besides the Astros probably running away with the West and the Yankees and the AL East, there's just not right? Like all these other divisions are going to be playing hard, right? There's no other like real big division leader right now. So yeah, I mean, the NL is a little bit more even across. Yeah. yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. AL, let's get to the Angels. They're probably the worst team on the rundown today for this particular segment. But I think I always connect the Angels and the Phillies in my mind. They're 14th in Major League Baseball in Team WRC Plus, so a tick above league average, 102. But only the Pirates strike out more as a team than the Angels. That is not a place that you want to be on that particular laggard board. I mean, it, look, you got Mike Trout striking out 27.9% of the time. doesn't matter. He's like 80% better than a league average player. But the problem with an offense that strikes out a lot, you can run hot and cold. When you run cold and you have other flaws, your other flaws tend to be exposed. And this is one particular area where they're going to miss Anthony Rendon because when Anthony Rendon's in the lineup, he's the kind of guy that does damage, but he also that puts a ton of balls in play. Mm-hmm. So you take him out. You don't really replace him with a guy that can either do damage or strike out as infrequently as he does. That becomes a problem. All this is to say you can cherry pick any pitchers on this starting rotation other than Otani and say this starter probably needs to be better in the second half. Or you could point to a younger player like Brandon Marsh and say if there's a way for the Angels to you know get hot and then play their way back into the AL wildcard picture, it's having a young player like Brandon Marsh step up and, and really become more of a consistent secondary contributor. One of the things that surprises me about Brandon Marsh, he's striking out well over 30% of the time. Good defender in the outfield, has plenty of tools. I think it's finding some guys like him to do more to support the star power on the roster, right? Trout, Trout and Otani have already been fantastic. You're not going to get more out of those guys. So you have to get more out of secondary guys. You could throw Jared Walsh in the conversation too as someone that needs to be kind of the best version of Jared Walsh if they're going to be more than just two stars trying to carry them every night. I think Marsh is a, is a good place to look because he has the ability to improve that strikeout rate. Um, he's young enough where he's 24 years old. He's, you know, and he had better strikeout rates in the minor leagues. You know, there could be something that sort of clicks for him. Uh, he's barreling the ball well. He does not actually uh, chase balls outside the strike zone at a terrible, uh, terrible rate. So there could be something that clicks. Plus, uh, a nice thing about him is he's a really good defender. So, you know, if he does put it all together, this is, uh, I think, probably one of the players on this team that has star-like upside. You know, it's a ceiling, and he's not necessarily super close to it, but if he even starts approaching his ceiling, I think that does make a difference across us. And, and, and part of that will be striking out less. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting place to look. You know, I think uh, for them to have found Otani, Lorenzen, Syndergaard, Sandoval, um, you know, four guys that uh, I would I would definitely throw, you know, in a postseason series, I'd throw all four of those guys. For them to have found those four, uh, is a victory this year. And I think it, you know, you can point to somebody like Chase Silseth. Silth, 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 I really have a hard time with that name. That's a tough name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I want it to be like a bunch of SHs and there's no SHs. Anyway. It's just good he's not a Sil- hockey player. Silseth. 
Uh, you could point to him, but I think that's a little bit disingenuous because every team could have a better fifth, sixth star. You know what I mean? Like you could. That's like every team needs a reliever. So I, I kind of like in this one case. I almost think Brandon Marsh, you know, could be the difference maker for this team. If we, you could almost be one guy getting hot and and doing something, and it could be Marsh. Yeah, I think Syndergaard has come a long way um, for them. I think a lot of people were worried, like what you were going to get. From him and he um has certainly shown like some better signs of life recently the angels i feel like i'm the most negative person on this podcast the angels are also toast in my mind um <laughs> <laughs> you tell it how it is we're the wafflers i mean i just i don't know like as we've talked about before you're talking about two teams in the phillies and the angels who have like changed managers two teams mm. that um aren't really the model of organizational stability, um, even beyond <laughs> the manager role. Um, so I just have a hard time when I look at the West. So you, you just have the look of a losing team, you think? Oh, I mean, listen, to give you an idea of how nothing goes the Angels' way, they get into that brawl with Seattle, and Archie oh, Bradley gosh. flips over the dugout railing and actually has to go on the IL with a serious injury. Hey, it's almost like brawls in baseball are stupid. <laughs> I And I also, like, I just, you know, to go from, like, easygoing Madden to to what seems like a bull in a china <laughs> shop, Tyler Nevin, or not Phil Tyler Nevin, Nevin yeah. his father, yeah. father Phil, Phil Nevin. Nevin. Just that to, like, it's just a totally, completely different look. And it, it's not a good look. It's kind of a, it's like kind of a crazy look. It's like the look of like, whoa, 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 dude. Yeah. Does it, okay, but Nevin was there with Madden. Is there someone like Madden who's there balancing things <laughs> out? Like, like, even though Nevin's in the, the higher position now, do they still have balance on the coaching staff? Does that matter? Or, or does the person calling the shots ultimately dictate the tone of the team? Like I, I more of an open question. Yeah. I covered Dom Cheedy, who's on their coaching staff and uh, he's a guy you don't want to mess with either. He's not a guy who's going to be like, Hey, let's, let's not escalate this. He was suspended as well. Um, yeah, he was, he was in the mix. Yeah. He was getting in there. <laughs> so known with the cast on one hand, um, I think, I just think the tone has changed. And I also just think that there was that brief window where we felt really good about the angels and now nothing has really gone right. And I look at like, how can they get back to being those angels again? And I just don't super, don't feel super confident in it at all. I think you know, it's going to be the same old story of, Oh, they wasted another year of trout. Oh, we don't get to see Otani in the playoffs. Like um, I know it's not about just direct division competition, but again, they're going to have to play Houston a lot. Houston's really good. Um, I don't think enough people are talking about how good they are. And yes, the A's are bad. Yes, they're, you know, they're not in this like super strong division top to bottom. Uh, but I just look at it and nothing the Angels do really inspires a whole lot of confidence. I think Seattle, obviously a lot of people expected to be better um, than they are, especially after last year. But Would you take the Mariners or the Angels? <sighs> That's tough. To make the playoffs mm-hmm. or just to finish with a better record? Yeah, better record. Just would you, which team would you take right now? Uh, maybe Seattle, just because I feel like Jerry Depoto could make some. If he feels like they are going to go for it, could make like ten trades at the deadline, and we would see a totally different team. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Way more depth. There's there's more more room for players getting hurt to be replaced by players that can at least hold their own yes. and possibly exceed expectations in Seattle. And their development is better. Their young guys are better. The Angels' development for years has been a has been a chronic issue. They got rid of all their international scouts during COVID. Like they're really like a house on a shaky foundation, right? Like a really expensive mm. house with cracks in the foundation. And I wouldn't call Seattle that. No. No, I yeah. I, I like the way the Mariners Maybe are more built. on the rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the numbers say uh, the ninety the ninety to hundred percent teams are the Yankees, Blue Jays, um, and Astros. There's obviously a, a bit of a battle forming for the Central, where that's up in the air. But let's say uh, the Twins, um, you know, are one of the favorites. Uh, so, you know, that leaves you uh, with two more wild card teams and. Fighting for those two are the those two spots are the Red Sox, Rays, uh, Guardians, and and White Sox, and Angels. I think the Angels are very comfortably last in that group. 
Easily. Yeah, easily. And we, we'll, we'll get to the Guardians again just for a moment. We talked a lot about them on last week's show, and this is a below league average offense that doesn't strike out a lot. Some of that's having guys like Quan and Miles Straw, and that that's not going to get you far in October. And I think having a healthy Fran Mil Reyes gives them a dimension that they did not have for the time that he was out. This could be a consensus key guy, I think. I think we we might be able to come to consensus on this. They need a power bat. He's their biggest power bat, other than Jose Ramirez. They need one even with him, but they need to get him right and producing like 30-plus home run friend Mil Reyes rest of the way and then add help, probably you know corner guy that can also mash. And then they may, they may have something there because we talked about all the, the reinforcements they could bring up with young pitching. So they're they're sneaky dangerous with the right moves, but part of them becoming a more dangerous offensive team is Fran Mil Reyes being a feared power hitter again. Yeah, and another X factor for Cleveland is just these young guys, right? Like, are they going to shut them down, or are they going to take them all the way to the end of September? Are they going to push these guys because they feel like, hey, we're really in it here? You know, there's that fine line of trying to develop young pitching at the big league level and knowing that this isn't like your peak yet, but also... Baseball is so fickle that maybe this is your chance to go in. I think we can all agree Cleveland's not going to go all in, but I'm curious to see how far they push these young guys if they stay in the mix in September. Yeah, I saw a few uh, people I follow on Twitter from Brewers Twitter. I'm not going to talk about the Brewers today. I promise. They were referring to Cleveland as Oakland East. And I think calling Cleveland Oakland East is fair because they they pinch pennies the same way. They win more than you expect. and. They they found another way to, to hang a around bit more at least. Focus on player development, I think. <laughs> a little more investment in the organization. Yes. Yeah, investment on the, in terms of non non major league free agent investment. We can yeah. talk about the Brewers. I feel like I've given DVR such a hard time. Though somebody on Twitter did say, "Hey DVR, you talk about the Brewers." <laughs> I, I got it out on the uh, fantasy show earlier today. We're, so. we're supposed to be talking about bubble teams here. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> not I'm not. I didn't. I just. I just told you where the information came from. We don't I have didn't. to talk about the 80 percent to make the playoffs. Uh, tied for first Brewers. <laughs> well, the Yankees you make the playoffs. It. Discuss. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> you said it, not me. Last team to get to as part of this uh, bubble watch. I mean, the White Sox are still in this group, and I feel like it's low hanging fruit. But I just think Lucas Giolito needs to get back to being a frontline starter again. I know Dylan Cease has been really good. He was part of our game show last week, two weeks ago. Really good starting pitcher. Michael Kopech shows flashes. His walk rate's a little high right now. But a lot for this team is getting healthy. We've spent a lot of time talking about that. I expect guys like Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu and the core in that offense. Eloy, once he comes back, Luis Robert, I think he's going to be fine. They're going to score runs. I'm not worried about the White Sox scoring runs. I'm just worried about the front of that rotation being as good as it needs to be. And I think Giolito is that guy for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a really good point. We've talked before on this show about just them getting healthy and off the injured list could make a big difference. I do wonder tangentially if Wes Johnson leaving the Twins, if the Twins are in for a little regression and they're pitching, how much that will upset them and maybe, you know, help the White Sox out because the White Sox do need the Twins to fall a little bit. They need to play better, of course. But if they're going to kind of climb back out of what's been really a a pretty miserable underperforming first half, it would certainly help to have a little help from up above. Yeah, for as much as things have gone wrong with the White Sox and as well as the Twins have played, it's only a six-game lead right now entering play on Wednesday. So they're still well within reach as they get healthier. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is a pretty bizarre story. This, I think, merits a little bit of discussion. Wes Johnson, the Twins pitching coach, leaving the Twins for LSU. Same job at LSU, different job in terms of how college pitching coaches work compared to big league pitching coaches. And doing this midseason for a first place team, I think the timing is also surprising. Uh, you know why? Why Why is this happening right now? I'm working on a piece with Zach Buchanan that'll... Uh you know, throw much more words at it than I can do here. Um, and it's pretty complex, but um, uh, money, uh, the money is better. Uh, and I think that's an amazing thing to say about uh, college sports versus uh, pro pro sports. You'd expect there to be more money in pro sports. Um, but, and, and I'll get into uh, how this is, how this happens in the piece, but um uh, there are uh, incentives. Uh, you know, his base salary as he goes over is supposed to be similar to what he got with the Twins. But there are all these incentives for making the College World Series. Uh, you know, they can put in ERA incentives. And then there are ways to pay college coaches extra that people, um, a little bit underreported. Like, for example, they had these camps on, on college campuses. And the camps uh, bring in a ton of money. And it matters that Wes Johnson made the plan for your kid. When you go, you send your kid. Now, it's not a ton extra work for Wes Johnson. All he has to do is be like, here's the throwing program for the kids. Here's how many pitches they can throw in a certain game. Uh, here's, here's what a good slider looks like. And then they send out a bunch of grad assistants uh, and they actually run the camps, right? But that camp can pay Wes Johnson 100, 200K. Uh, separately from the uh, from the uh, the college, so you're starting with a, a, a similar base salary. You got incentives that might add one or two hundred thousand uh, to his salary at the end of the season, and you got a camp that can add one or two hundred thousand. That's why we're seeing a difference in reported salaries from the three hundred eighty-eight base salary that Wes Johnson would get there to the seven hundred and fifty k, which is a number I heard. So. If he's getting 750k, there's I don't think there's a single pitching coach or pitching or hitting coordinator in Major League Baseball making 750k. Yeah, so this is I'm glad you're writing about it. You know, this has been a trend that people in baseball have pointed out to me um, over the past year or two, and you know, it's one of those things you're like, ah, oh, I should write about it, and then you kind of forget about it. And something like this really magnifies the issue that a lot of top coaching candidates would rather be in college. The schedule is also better. Um, then the major leagues, the major leagues is an absolute grind. Um, there's a little more stability from what I was told, um, at the college level than there is at the pro level, uh, at the pro level, you lose the manager. Oftentimes the entire staff is getting gutted. Um, you know, oftentimes you're year to year on the coaching staff as well. The average tenure of a pitching coach in major league baseball is just over one year. So exactly. So I remember, I think it was two years ago, AJ Hinch was getting his staff together. Chip Hale had just come off of winning with the uh, Nationals, winning the World Series. He was on Hinch's staff. Then he gets offered a job in Arizona and bolts for Arizona because it was just a marketedly better job. Um, there's these examples, if you look back over time, especially the last couple of years, of a lot of really talented people going and staying in the college ranks. And I think we're only going to continue to see that with such a big disparity in salary, as you mentioned, and just the fact that, as Wes Johnson said, it's a better schedule, he can spend more time with his family, and he can make a ton more money. So why wouldn't 
you take that. I think this is something we're going to see more and more. I think there's also fair to flip the question the other direction and say, why isn't uh, Major League Baseball spending more yeah. on their coaches? Yeah. I th- and I think that's a that's a complicated one that's that may take more time than we can answer here. But it does have to do with um, sometimes with the nerds. Yeah. Because if you think about it, uh, you can do a study where you look at a single coach and you can look at Leo Mazzoni and you can look at before and after. You can project the players and see if he actually moved the needle on those projected players. And then you might say you might find in the end eh, in some Leo Mazzoni. Eh. You know, he was pretty good, but not he didn't actually move the needle. And if you think about it, you look back, I think Leo Mazzoni is one of the most revered pitching coaches in the game. And I'm not talking crap on Leo Mazzoni, but I'm just saying, like, you know, it didn't work for Steve Avery. You know, Mark Mollers didn't have amazing command just because, you know, Leo Mazzoni was coaching him. There were other players that didn't work out. And if you really sum it all up, he looks he might look eh. And then you then you would say, He's he's the best one in the game, and he looks eh in the study then I don't need to uh, spend much on coaches. There's always another guy coming up and, and we'll just get the next one if this one gets too expensive. So that's, I think, been part of the mindset in, in baseball. Uh, but I think it's erroneous to kind of just look at the one coach and say, ooh, uh, before and after, not that much of a, a difference. So therefore, coaches don't work. I think that's uh, aren't that important because I think that you're really missing the, system, the systemic issue, right? Yeah. A coach is only as good as the clay he's given to to some extent, right? So a really good team needs to have really good scouts, really good R&D, and really good coaching. Because then you're acquiring right the right players, and you're acquiring the right players for the type of coaches you have, given that you know that these coaches have some effect. And so, therefore, the best team does invest in all three assets, yeah. in all three aspects, scouts, R&D, and uh, coaches. You bring a, a good point, though, because like five, ten years ago, front offices weren't this expensive. So you could spend more money on coaches. But now, as we did that piece in January, all the AGMs that are being hired, just these bloated front offices, these R&D departments that used to not exist, that now sometimes are 20, 30 people. College front offices are three people. Yeah. And now you're hiring guys from the Ivy Leagues and you're trying to get them out of you know the financial world and all this. Like You're going to have to pay them significant amounts of money. And so I think that is where you're kind of seeing the the balance shift as well, right? Like you're not seeing, um, I was talking. We can't give everybody a million dollars a exactly. year. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and like you're seeing that in the manager role. Managers aren't commanding the salaries that they used to Derek's either. Derek's like, could we? Could we maybe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just a totally different thing in my opinion, because there's no way to, to quantify a Joe Madden versus a Phil Nevin, right? We don't have, and I talked about this the other night um, on TV for the Mets. There's no way to quantify a war for a manager. Though Buck Showalter has won the Mets three or four games, there's just no stat where that shows up anywhere. It's really difficult. When I've when I've tried, you, you do not want to take, for example, and say this team was projected to do this and they did this, and just be like, "That's the manager." Mm-hmm. No, like <laughs> players, you know, overperform and underperform. The players that could be coaches, yeah. that could be your hitting coach. It could be, it could be just noise, you yeah. know. But but when you do like you can look at things and be like, do these managers put the relievers in at the right time? Do these managers put the uh, the right hitters in the right slots in the lineup? And you can find, you know, some differences. Uh, They're not they're not that large. And I would I would argue that the manager's influence is larger than the effect that we found, you know, using those those tactics. Like the numbers don't always and I'm a numbers guy. I'm a nerd, but there are there are effects that you that are not easy to tease out. Correct. And if you're talking about an organization, like the manager is only as good as the organization. Like you, like like the Angels, they could go through. They could have. They could put Buck. You know, you we all like Buck. Yeah. They could put Buck. And you know, and would they be any better? No, because their player development's no good. And right. you know, you know, they just mostly just spend money on free agents and. Their acquisition model, you know, maybe it's in flux, maybe it's changing now, but like you need everything on the same page. And then a manager can make a huge difference if you're doing all the other things right underneath the manager. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, you need to build the organization correctly from the ground up. Who would have thought? (laughs) This thing we've we've never talked about that before. (laughs) Why would you want to invest in good people at all levels of your organization? The other um, business-ish 
related question. It's a business question. It's a a legal question. Is Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption actually in jeopardy? Britt, I think you seem skeptical that anything's actually going to come from the uh, it was the Senate Judiciary Committee digging into this putting putting this antitrust exemption under the microscope is this just political theater or is there actually something that could happen from this you know what I think you guys are expecting me to be pessimistic for in here um, <laughs> You're playing the part really well I do um, I'm also nine months pregnant pregnancy rage hormones are a real thing. I wasn't gonna say uh, <laughs> Can't argue with the pregnant ladies. That's my husband. You're yeah. never going to win. I, I think that there's more uh, there's more positive momentum than we've seen, at least since I started covering baseball, um, God, 14 years ago. Where there's finally pressure where at least what we're seeing um, and what came out on Tuesday is a bipartisan effort. So politicians on both sides interested in getting more information and exploring getting rid of this antitrust exemption. So you know, is it going to go away? Not yet. We still have so many hoops to go through. But we are finally starting to see pressure on MLB's antitrust exemption, which we haven't seen in the past. And I think it's a credit to a lot of the advocacy groups in the minor leagues, um, to the advent of social media, and to people kind of exposing what these conditions are and how illegal this antitrust exemption would be otherwise. And the fact that it's a bipartisan thing gives me hope. So it's not like, okay, if you know, if Congress changes over, if the Senate flips, this is all going to go away. Um, you're seeing people on both sides of the aisle be like, this really isn't great. And this is the reason why no other professional sports league was granted this kind of antitrust exemption. So why should Major League Baseball have it? I think, you know, the letter was super clear about here are questions. And what was great about it was I think that it really it's starting to crystallize in people's minds the link between the poor situation in the minor leagues and the antitrust exemption. Because, you know, in the major leagues, those major league players are in a union. And so the law that really governs them is labor law. You know, they're they're in a collectively bargained situation. Uh, so they do have some power. And that's why they get more money. And like, you know, they're in a better situation than the minor leaguers. The minor leaguers are not unionized. Uh, and so therefore, the, the teams with the antitrust exemption can do whatever they want with the minor leagues. They can get rid of minor league teams. They can add minor league teams. They can they can just unilaterally say, OK, you guys are getting paid $2,000 this year or 1000 They can do whatever they want because of the antitrust exemption. So if you, by doing that, that letter connects a lot of different points of pressure, like you're saying, because, you know, you, I, Emily Walden, you know, we've written about how poor the situation is for minor leaguers on the, at The Athletic, right? So now you're connecting media pressure, social media, you've got these advocacy organizations, uh, you also just have pictures and, and minor leaguers speaking out about, you know, just, it's very powerful when you see their bedroom sometimes, or you, they, they show you their meals that they're having, you know, uh, you know, those are really powerful images. So now you got media, social media. Now you have those advocacy groups also taking uh, baseball to court. So you have it happening in the courts. And now you add something that's happening in Congress to that pile. And any one of these things, you might say, eh, who cares about some pictures on social media? Eh, it's a couple of pieces in The Athletic. Eh, you know, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a suit. They are always suing, whatever. But you kind of, when you put it all together, you kind of say, well, okay who knows maybe each one of these only has a 25 percent chance of doing anything but right now there's like four points of pretty extreme pressure on baseball yeah. you know and and it also makes it harder for them to choose one way to battle it right because now they have to have lawyers in court people on social media you know they have to they have to be waging battle on four fronts that makes it harder on them yeah, and maybe the outcome isn't that they lose the antitrust exemption, but they say, actually, it's better to just pay the minor leaguers a living wage than to fight I this battle on four fronts. Like this, this might just I put enough pressure happening. on them to that's, make a change that they, they, they should have made, made some changes, right? They, they yeah. have made some changes. Uh, but also the letter was right to point out the hypocrisy of saying, um, we need the antitrust exemption or else uh, we'll have to shutter minor league teams. You just and did then, it. like a couple years later, they just shutter some minor league teams. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> you literally just did that, that on your own volition. <laughs> yeah. Why do we give you America's Pastime Act? Oh, oh, save America's Pastime Act. Beep, beep. Awful. That's the big poop right there. Yeah. And, and, and that letter, 
that letter uh, <laughs> referenced the Save America's Pastime Act like three or four times and being like, why did we do this for you? Yeah. Shouldn't have done it in the first place. Fair to ask the question <laughs> now. Why Why exactly did we do this? Because it's not, it's not saving America's pastime. I don't think it was really designed <laughs> to do that the way that you might think based on it just its a, name. designed to codify minor leaguers as part-time workers. Yes. Yeah. And the funny thing is, if you think about it just from a straight like workload, the common sense perspective, what you ask a 18-year-old rookie ball player to do for a full season in terms of work in, and number of games played is so similar to what you ask a big league player to do. It's so it's insane to me that you can be like, oh, no, they're they're separate. They're, they should be treated differently. It's like, no, it's the same freaking job. It's- I mean, somebody within baseball might be like, no, 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 it's totally different. You don't have the same number of games and stuff. But I think you're right, actually. If you just sort of take the 30,000 uh, feet look... Are yeah. they training for baseball yes. most of like, the year? What what is the Correct. how much how much time and effort has to go into the job? How often are they on the field or in the gym or yeah. on a bullpen? You know what I mean? Like you know, it's probably pretty similar. Actually, it's way more similar than uh, the league would ever want you to believe, of course. But we need to go. Uh, before we go, if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave us a rating and review, we'd really appreciate it if you did that. If you want to read about. All these topics, most of them, almost all of them, are covered on The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash baseball show gets you a subscription for a dollar a month for the first six months. Get that while you can. I don't think that deal is going to be around forever. On Twitter, Eno's at Eno Saris. Britt is at Britt underscore Giroli. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. And at the 3-0 show, you've always got the green light. 